Napoleon's wishing for a retirement plan, but I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom! Well, here we are then. Welcome back to the show. We've got a load of brand new movies to talk about that Van has already seen, and we'll find out what he thought of them shortly. But let's just have a bit of a catch-up first, because I wanted to just mention to you, obviously last week we reviewed Saltburn. You promised yeah. me I could get a screener link for it. I've seen it, and I would agree with everything you said last week, actually. It is absolutely random, but it's great fun. It, it is great fun, isn't it? it it's, it's bonkers. It's very anarchic and very, very cool. And how good is Barry Keown in it? I love Barry Keown in it. Yeah. Can I ask that, without giving anyone any spoilers, if they've not seen Saltburn, which they absolutely should, um, did you, like I, think that that final sequence in the house that ends the movie with the song was just a banger? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> like... I was I was thinking, oh, Van mentioned this last week. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, honestly, just such a great film. Really good, wasn't it? I even like Jacob Elordi. He's playing Elvis apparently in that Priscilla movie that Sophia Coppola's got coming out in like a month or so. Uh, there's a we've kind of got we, in the space of a year we've gone from Elvis to Priscilla. So yeah, <laughs> I but, did. I must say one thing though. Watching Saltburn, mm-hmm. the very beginning, I did kind of sit there and think, "Oh, this looks like re- a real low budget kind of film," and mm-hmm. then it sucks you in and you suddenly kind of forget about that. I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was the the font used with the you know the explanation kind of the writing at the start or i don't know what it was but i was wrong there's a film we're going to talk about this week that i assure you is worse in that regard where they're literally like times new romaning the text oh god it's it's, it's mental we will talk about it though um in fact loads to talk about this week because obviously we are now post-strike and we kind of knew i think i'd mentioned to you ages ago like the minute this strike ends the film news is going to be absolute bedlam yeah and we had a week after the strike in which it was still rel- relatively quiet. You know, one or two things went into production. And so on. It was relatively quiet. And then this week, the floodgates opened. And it's all kicking off. So Ridley Scott's gone to war with the press. That's nice. Uh, R- Ridley Scott has decided that the true way to honour Napoleon is uh, just to start wars with as many people as possible, which, fair, fair. Um, it, it's what the man would have wanted. We'll talk about him at the end of the show, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh, James Gunn has finally gotten to cast more people for Superman Legacy, which is going to be the this is the new Superman for the new DCU that's got is it David Corrin Sweat? It's Corrin Sweat or Corrin Sweet as uh, as Superman, and he's in the gym bulking up and putting his pictures out because he can talk about the movie now, which is awesome. But the part for me, and this was a rumor months ago. And I was really excited. And today, because we're recording this on uh, Wednesday the 22nd, um, today it became official. And I, I, I had to celebrate this. It's the greatest bit of casting I've heard in years. Um, Superman Legacy has found its Jimmy Olsen. Oh. Now, you know the character of Jimmy Olsen. We all do. He's fairly iconic. But he's, yeah. he's kind of a, oh, gee, shucks, gee, you know, Mr. Kent, you know, kind of a dweeb. They've gone and gotten Skylar Gizondo from Santa Clarita Diet, from uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation reboot a few years ago. Uh, apparently, he's in the, the Righteous Gemstones. He's one of these actors that I just, I absolutely love. Like, I think he's brilliant in absolutely everything. He's in uh, Booksmart as well. He's the baller guy in Booksmart with the boat. Goes his own party. Love him. Just really fun actor. Very funny guy. 
picks very good projects. And if James Gunn's working with him, it's time to, if you're not excited about Superman Legacy already, it's time. But even more impressive than that, we have a Lex Luthor for that film as well. They have, they have cast their Lex Luthor. Now, is this a mega A-lister? It's, well, it's not. And the thing is, it's going to make him a mega A-lister. Ooh. So, bear in mind, we're going younger with this. Rachel Brosnahan is, you know, uh, Lois Lane. So the marvellous Mrs. Maisel is, is Lois Lane, which um, that fits because Lois Lane kind of historically has to be the smartest, hottest woman alive. So go and get Rachel Brosnahan by all means. Um, as their Lex Luthor, bear in mind, evil genius billionaire, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, kind of sums that one. Yeah, Nicholas Holt. So, you know, the little kid from About a Boy. Yeah. I still think of him as the little kid from About a Boy. With How old is he haircut. now? Well, he's about in his 30s now, but he's, you know, he's a buff stud now. He's got he's gone the way of <laughs> Will Poulter. All of our young child actors just go the way of Will Poulter and Nicholas Holt. Buff up, you know. Tell you, we're taking wow. over. Our, our young studs have taken over Hollywood. I tell you, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. But... Not all positive news, because obviously there are other things going on in the world besides uh, writer strikes, and obviously there is uh, a conflict going on in the world right now that is harrowing to witness. I don't want to get too much, because I'm not, uh, I'm not really that politically active in that part of the world. So what, I grew up in the Middle East, so I'm, I'm kind of used to keeping my mouth shut on the subject, lest I offend anyone. You know what I mean? Um, so... Uh, because of uh, certain statements made in the defense, what seemed to be in the defense of Palestine, uh, Melissa Barrera, the star of the last two Scream movies, star of Scream 5 and 6, has today been sacked. She has oh. been let, she's been let go. Scream 7 is, Scream 7, Scream 6, whichever the new Scream is, is being delayed. And uh, they're retooling it to work around this. Bear in mind is the series that got rid of Nev Campbell in the last one has now gotten rid of Melissa Barrera as well. Um, she's not the only one. Susan Sarandon has been let go from her agency for similar comments. Uh, I forget the name of the agent. I think it's CAA who got let go. And that is my favorite one of these because that turned out to be absolutely the wrong person to sack because one of her clients was Tom Cruise. And... Uh, he he showed up at the office apparently. Really? So, apparently, oh Tom Cruise showed up at their office and wanted to have a word. He is a very hands-on man. Let's be well, honest. I mean, we saw him during the Mission Impossible thing. He, he's basically the de facto emperor of Hollywood now. He's Hollywood's yeah. ambassador now. He kind of appointed himself this way during the pandemic when he he had the big rant when he was filming. You know, like people are watching us. Pay it. You know, we're here to save the. He has sort of become the unofficial ambassador of Hollywood. So if he's showing up at your door, maybe you're in the wrong. But this whole thing with the firings and the droppings, things like that, this has led to a discussion of, are we now in another McCarthyist blacklist era? Because this, this feels like the 50s. This now feels like that period in history where, you know, you, you can just have your entire career just shunted aside. I know we've kind of we're kind of hopefully on the back end of so-called cancel culture, etc., which isn't a real thing anyway. But this just seems like cancel culture by another name. Only this is actually legitimate. They actually are trying to cancel these people. It's not like, you know, the guys from Time's Up who didn't get cancelled. They just went away for five minutes and then did a stage show and won some Grammys. Obviously not going to name names, but we could all look up, look up, look that one up. But uh, yeah, so yeah, fun times. There, it's, it's a really weird time for the industry. Like I say, at the middle of it all is Ridley Scott, 
who just keep keeps going into interviews trying to antagonize people and the weird thing is this should be a great moment for ridley scott because you know it's the napoleon movie every director worth their salt has tried to get a napoleon movie you know into production kubrick died trying to get a napoleon movie into he spent three decades trying to get a napoleon movie into production and spielberg is now turning that script into a tv show but since we've mentioned uh senor spielbergo final bit i'll give you um a bit of news today involving Senor Spielbergo and uh, and uh, Mr. Martin Scorsese. They are teaming up, would you know? No. They are. It's not for the first. They've been friends for a long time. They've worked together on things here and there. Now, famously in the early 90s, Steven Spielberg was going to make, uh, was going to do the remake of Cape Fear, which he didn't wind up doing. He gave it to Scorsese instead because Scorsese had always wanted to do a remake. Okay, cool. That is actually my favourite Scorsese movie, is, is Kate Fee. You know, De Niro as Max KD, and then you've got uh, Nick Nolte as Counselor. And of course, it gave us probably the best episode of The Simpsons ever in Sideshow Bob in Kate Fiere, which is yeah. just a marvellous bit of television. However, since Kate Fiere already put the story on television, Spielberg and Scorsese said, do you know what? In for a penny, in for a pound. Let's make it into a TV series. So they are. We're getting Kate Fear as a TV show. They're also tweaking the one annoying thing about the uh, last version, which is the Jessica Lang character. She's now not going to be a chain-smoking, stay-at-home alcoholic housewife. She is now going to be a lawyer as well. So they can be a married couple of lawyers, and their ex-client gets out, of, the psycho ex-client gets out of prison and comes for them. I can't wait. I, I, the casting on this is going to make or break it. Please don't gender flip it because I, I, I just don't think it would work somehow. I feel like there is a there needs to be a toxic masculinity thing to Cape Fear. And obviously, you know, Robert De Niro took that to absolute extremes. That scene with Juliette Lewis still haunts my nightmares. And uh, <laughs> I don't think they'll do that in the new version somehow. <laughs> Thing. Like, you're not gonna you're not gonna sneak into a high school and try and stick your fingers in an underage girl's mouth in 2023 it ain't happening you know what i mean and definitely not under the watchful eye of senior spielberg but uh yeah so kate fear that's happening can't wait do you know Poor do you know where it's got, gonna be coming out on is it like gonna be a netflix or an amazon or i think i, th- I think i saw somewhere that it's amazon which makes me very happy makes sense yeah, yeah. yeah. Big budgets. Great. Mm. Yeah, Great. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm in. Spielberg, chuck, chuck, your, chuck it out. I'm in. I'm in. Well, the uh, the industry is definitely in a very strange place at the moment. So, um, yeah, we'll sit back and see how that pans out over the next six months to a year. Um, but we are going to move on and talk about movies that Van has already seen. So that's what we're here for. We're going to look at a new Disney adventure animation called Wish. We'll see what Van thought of that in just a second. So stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Then, okay, we've had our movie chat. It's time to move on and talk about the movies that Van has already seen. So we are going to start with an uh, an animated adventure called Wish from Disney. Let's see what you thought, Van. I mean, right, okay. In order for me to review this with any degree of of sincerity, I I, I kind of I can't really bury the lead on this one. So the film is not very good. 
I have to say that up front because it's, it's going to inform a lot of what I have to say next. Um, the film is not very good. It's uh, it got the I think it's the worst reviews for any Disney movie since Chicken Little in two thousand six. Wow! So it's it's taken Disney seventeen years to to release a movie that's that's gone down this badly. And when you and we all knew that going into the movie and and we weren't disappointed from our expectations, shall we say. And I did go legitimately to the actual red carpet premiere for this. Like the actual premiere. I was on I the saw. blue carpet. I was, on the, I was on the blue carpet with Lauren Laverne. I ran into Rosie from Coronation Street and Helen Flanagan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who incidentally, just as much a smoke show in reality. And then I found out afterwards that Kimberly Walsh was there and I missed her. Damn it. But... Uh, I, I know, right? I mean, God, the absolute arse I could make out of myself in front of Kimberly Walsh. Anyway. <laughs> She's still got the legal papers, hasn't she? <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> this is... Uh, I would describe this as somewhere halfway between Tangled and Encanto. Uh, so, Sean Wilson, a guy I know uh, through, through Instagram, another film uh, podcaster, uh, he basically took that comment and went, so you're saying it's Entangled. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, entangled. Like, that kind of sums it up. So, you've got a mythical kingdom, like, town, city with a castle in the middle of it called Rosa, in this case. You've got a young woman, uh, Asher, who's, I don't even know who voiced her, if I'm being really honest. Ariana DeBose, that's it. Ariana DeBose uh, voices her. She's a young, usual, sort of late teenage Disney princess type who lives in a kingdom that's ruled by a king, voiced by Chris Pine, looking strangely like my friend Johnny, which irks the hell out of me because why do I have to look like Buzz Lightyear and he gets a sexy wizard <laughs> thing? Anyway. Um, seriously, just, just imagine that without the hair. Can you not see Buzz Lightyear? I, anyway. I actually um, can, yeah. yeah. I could do the same. Yeah. Do this and look like Hagrid. I always thought you had a sort of young Nick Frost quality. Anyway, it's beside the point. <laughs> okay, moving on. Nick Frost in fighting with my family, maybe. Like, 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 a, like a slim down, like a slimmer, sexy Nick Frost. Anyway, beside the point, Disney. Anyway, <laughs> so you've got on the, the rite of passage in this kingdom, whereby on a certain on a certain day, at a certain time in your life, you have to go and pay tribute to the king, and you give him your greatest wish. And if he decides it's in the best uh, interests of the kingdom, he will grant your wish. And by giving him your wish, though, you lose that ambition. So if you want to be a chef, you give him your wish. If he thinks it's going to serve the kingdom, he will make you a chef. If he doesn't, it just stays in the vault that he protects with all the other wishes, and you never have any desire to cook ever again. You even forget that you wanted to cook. It'd be like me forgetting movies or something like that, because, God, this does not benefit society. Anyway, um... She decides, no, this system is really... She discovers all of the, the reality that he's hoarding and he is picking and choosing which wishes to grant and decides, no, I'm going to break in and I'm going to free those wishes. And she does so with the aid of a wish of her own, which takes the form of a literal star. So you've got a cutesy, like, you know, handheld star with a face that communicates and flies and literally like leaves behind magic wish dust wherever it goes that makes inanimate objects come to life and sing and talk which happens to include Asher's pet goat voiced by Alan Tudyk who you're going to hear in this clip a star okay you can't be I mean I know I wished on a but <laughs> no 
Yes? Seeing things. <laughs> Whoa, what are you doing? Valentino, don't eat that! It didn't work. When does the magic happen? Huh? Oh, something's happened. I'm talking. I am talking. Ha! Who knew my voice would be this low? I mean, if I'm honest, it sounds like a wonderful Disney adventure journey of a film. What did they do so wrong for it not to work? Right. Put bluntly, I, I have a... I, if you told me that this theory of mine was true, I'd believe you. It feels so hollow, convoluted, uninvolving and by the numbers that it does genuinely feel very often like somebody took, you know how chat GPT works? It, you know, you, you give it a learning model, you give it like three works, it analyzes those works, and then you can use it to make more works. This feels like someone fed the Disney library into an AI and said, write me a Disney movie. And then they just forgot to give it to a human writer to like, you know, actually punch it up and give it some some character. Nothing about this works, save for the presence of Alan Tudyk as the goat, Valentino, which, incidentally, banger name for a goat. If you've got a pet goat, Valentino, baby, that is absolutely what you call a goat. Um, Alan Tudyk is absolutely the life and soul of this movie. Every single laugh, and I, I sat there with my friend Simon Hooper for many good films. He and I were sat there, and we were bored about 15 minutes into this. Wow. And... Uh, 40 minutes into this, which is when that clip that we've just played actually happens, I laughed for the first time, so did he. And we just turned to each other in this moment of absolute realisation. And we checked our watch, did we just laugh 40 minutes in? Did it just take 40 minutes for us to laugh at a Disney movie? Like, that's that's not good. And then we noticed, like, it became very obvious because the rest of them was so flatlined, so uninvolving, so, like I say, just by the numbers. The, I mean, even the songs. The songs are spectacularly unmemorable. Oh. And you, you simply don't. You just sit there going, oh, great song. Can I, oh, I might go to the toilet while this one's on. It's one of those. It would, it would entertain, I think, children under five who don't yet really have that discernment of this isn't very good, but, you know, it's bright and colourful and the songs and characters. Yeah. Like, that I think would work. I would show this to my nephew. You could show this to Albert. You know, Lisa could show this to Bella. It would it would work. You know, on younger kids. I think beyond that, you're pushing it because it's like the only life in it is Alan Tudyk, and because the rest of it's so dull. Whenever we were laughing at Alan Tudyk voicing Valentino, it it felt so out of place based on you know in context of the rest of the movie that ooh, you, you really it showed it stuck out. And, I mean, the weird part is, it's got an amazing cast. Like, a really good cast. Yeah. Evan Peters is in this. Rami Youssef. Uh, say Ariana DeBose is your lead. Chris Pine. Chris Pine's never not fun. Victor Garber is in this. I bloody love Victor Garber. Jack Bristow. Sign me up. I love me some Victor Garber. So I'm a big alias guy. So, you know, Victor Garber in that show is just absolutely incredible. And also, that show did give us J.J. Abrams. So maybe we should recognize that one a bit more. This is dire. Absolutely dire. It is 10 years this year since Frozen came out. And 
That feels like it's been a long decade if it's led to this. This I was going to say, it's a big shame because I know that Disney invest massively in their casting, in their storylines, yeah. and, and in their in their soundtracks. You'd expect at least two out of the three to be there, but for it just to be the casting this time round, it's a bit of a disappointment. It's the, only, it's the only bright spark in this, the only thing going for it, is that casting. And it's not enough to elevate this film. It's a film that I'll come away from and just go, it's, it's a two-star film. It's genuinely a two-star film. And that really is, I, I believe me, one of those stars is entirely for Alan Tudyk. <laughs> who, and let's be really honest about Alan Tudyk for a second, because I, I love Alan Tudyk. I've, I've met Alan Tudyk several times, because I'm, uh, well, I mean, you, you, this tattoo on my arm is obviously Serenity. Um, he is Wash in Firefly and Serenity. And, I mean, you know this about me, I, I, I will go to my grave praying for more from that franchise for more more from that universe because i think it's genuinely one of the best things anyone ever wrote and i say that knowing full well it's joss whedon but alan tudyk has now gone the same way as josh gad where he just seems to be owned by disney every animated movie now has alan tudyk in it he was in moana he was in wreck it ralph he was in loads of them I mean, I can't actually remember the list offhand, but I remember noting at one point that it was like every Disney movie that was coming out had, had Alan Tiddick in it. Uh, he's the chicken in Moana. It's Hey Hey, the chicken that she takes on the raft in... Uh, yeah. Uh, but I always remember him as the evil king in uh, 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 Wreck-It Ralph. You know the evil king that's actually yeah, a bad guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Wreck-It Ralph. Terrible sequel, but great movie. Um, and like I say, one entire star for Alan Tiddick. The rest of this... Oh, No. I, if I could wish anything, I'd have skipped the movie. Okay. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, Wish is out in cinemas from today, and you can go and see, preferably if you have a five or under, because then you're one of you at least will enjoy it. Uh, okay, let's move on. In a second, we've still got the retirement plan to talk about, another movie out today, and next, the very controversial Napoleon. We'll see what Van thought of that. Stay where you are. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Offscreen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. So, what's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. So it's a big thanks to our sponsors this week at Unfold. Imagine a life where you're not running about all the time, racing the clock, with a path to well-being designed specifically with you in mind. Well, you can find that with Unfold, a transformative three-month program for you to reliably feel better with unique tools like the work of Byron Katie, non-sleep, deep rest practices, and integral coaching, all woven together to guide you towards self-discovery and holistic well-being. Unfold uses a combination of weekly one-on-one meetings, guided relaxations, and a carefully designed individual roadmap to help you gain clarity, personal growth, and a deeper understanding of yourself, combining inner work with deep rest. So bring your stress, your heartache, finances, relationships, and anything that you feel is keeping you from feeling free, and let it all unfold, ayo, in the direction of well-being. And as a listener of Offscreen, you can get a 15% discount. Plus, you can also book a 30-minute free trial for a taster of the Unfold program. So if you're ready to say hello to a more balanced life, head over to ChristinaBenet.com. The website address will be right below in the show notes. Thanks again to Unfold. And now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the show. Okay, let's crack on with another new movie that's out in cinemas from today. It has been quite controversial, but let's see what Van thought of it. It is Napoleon. So uh, my fingers are crossed that you think this is absolutely brilliant because, of course, it's had huge amounts of publicity recently. 
I don't. I mean, I don't think it's brilliant. I will say that off the bat. I don't think it's, it's very good. It's good. You know, it's, I mean, it's a Ridley Scott movie, so you know it's well made. You know what I mean? Like Ridley, Ridley Scott is a very technical director, but we'll talk Ridley in a minute. So, uh, story of Napoleon Bonaparte. Effectively, this is you know his rise from you know young gunnery sergeant to emperor of most of the world for a, you know for a time, uh, followed by his exile and his attempts to then return into the world. Uh, as played here by Joaquin Phoenix, you also get uh, Vanessa Kirby as Josephine, um, you know, famously of Not Tonight Josephine fame. Um, a cast that also includes, I think, Miles Jupp briefly, and uh, Mark Bernard, who is uh, an actor I quite like from uh, Catastrophe with Rob Delaney. Uh, he, he's in here as well. Like I say, it is, you know, it's the rise and fall of Napoleon Bonaparte. I've got a clip for you, and this comes from Napoleon's coronation, in which, and I'm not sure on the accuracy of this, because we're going to have to talk about that, but he basically just stops the coronation halfway through and has his own declarations to make. May God affirm you on his throne and Christ give you to rule with him in his eternal kingdom. I found the crown of France in the gutter. I picked it up with the tip of my sword and cleaned it and placed it atop my own head. I mean, I, I, I really think that Joaquin... How do you pronounce his name? Is it Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix? I never know. <laughs> Why is everybody trying to whack Phoenix all the time? It, it's not Joaquin Phoenix. It's, it's, it's Joaquin. It's Joaquin. Joaquin, uh, yeah. Joaquin. Joaquin. Um, my my image, my, my image of Joaquin in this is that he would make a fantastic Napoleon. Like uh, that's um, and in the trailer, it looks mm-hmm. you know that way. He absolutely does make a fantastic Napoleon. To be fair to him, Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix shockingly makes a good Napoleon. Of course he does. He's Joaquin Phoenix. The man managed to make the Joker into a thing, into an Academy award-winning thing so i mean i still argue that he should have just got it for you were never really here uh, you were never really there the the the, uh, the 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 violent one where he was with the hammer and he was trying to rescue the kids that he should have gotten the oscar for not so much joker but you know what can't that one didn't please the incels joker did anyway so you've got Vanessa Kirby as well as uh, as Josephine. She's replaced uh, Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer had been cast originally uh, as Josephine and then obviously for scheduling reasons, I think, had to drop out. Uh, Comer had previously appeared in uh, uh, Scott's movie before this, really Scott's movie before this, which was The Last Duel with Adam Driver and Matt Damon, which I need to revisit, actually, because I think it's a very good movie and it got really snippy, uh, really sniffy reception at the time. So... Things about this I love. Uh, I love the performances from Ridley, uh, from Ridley Scott. I love the performances from Joaquin Felix and uh, Vanessa Kirby. Uh, Mark Bernard, I, I, I thought, was very good in this as well. It was nice to see him get a nice, big, beefy film role. Um, I liked the look of it. I like the I like how it's put together. It, it takes a Ridley Scott movie, so you know that it's technically brilliant. I mean, Ridley Scott is one of the world's greatest photographers, if nothing. I mean, it's the guy who gave us the 1984 advert. Whenever we talk about Ridley Scott's body of work, no one ever mentions the, the 1984 Apple advert. You know, the, the the famous Macintosh Orwell advert that launched yeah. in the Super Bowl that year, uh, which is 
seminal work of advertising history. Um, and now that's that's really about it. Oh no, tell a lie. I will give it one other thing. It contains maybe my favourite line of dialogue of any movie this year, in which Joaquin Phoenix, who I remind you, is a man with an Oscar on his bathroom shelf, looks to camera and says the words, Destiny brought me this lamb chop. <laughs> I just... Where do you go from that? I mean... <laughs> why? How do you... It makes sense in context, but it's mental. And yes, there were just guffaws of laughter through the through the premiere for that one. Um, the problem with it is it's a really functional movie, but nothing more. It's, I say, those things are enough to get this to a sort of three, three and a half star level. But beyond that, you can't really get much further because the film doesn't seem to have a point. Now, it's interesting to note that on the IMDb listing, they actually credit the plot of the film as doing the thing that it actually doesn't do. The thing that would have made it a near five-star film. Now, they list in here that this is his, you know, the rise and fall of Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte and his relentless journey to power. This is the quote. Through the prism of his addictive, volatile relationship with his wife, Josephine. Now, pardon my French, but no, it bloody does not. It definitely does not. They do naff all with that relationship. And oh. that is just... And I know this is the weird thing, because there is a four-hour cut of this coming to Apple TV+. Plus in, in a month or so. The film that we've got in cinemas is, I think, two and a half hours. So if that's all... I would imagine that that's kind of in the extended cut, but the version we're getting in, the, in theaters and cinemas simply does not have that. The relationship at the, that should be at the center of this movie, you know, that there are two defining things about Napoleon. He took over most of the world, and he was really into his wife. They are really not bothered about the last part in, for, for this theatrical edition. Anyway, like I say, I've not seen the four-hour version, and I will watch it. I, I will, like, over Christmas, it's the kind of thing, like, if I have access to it over Christmas, I will sit and watch the four-hour version of this, because I have to believe that it's a much stronger story, that it's a much better film. But without that element at the centre of it. What you are left with is a movie that effectively reads like a Wikipedia article. And then he did this, and then he did that, and then he went there, and then he did that. And you start thinking, yes, but you're just telling me things he did, and I have no emotional anchor because I don't know what avenue you want me to count this story from. You know, to use it, to use a, a, a better example... If you did this with Oasis, imagine someone made an Oasis biopic. I'm, I'm literally, I'm going with the one I know you would get the most. Right. Imagine, <laughs> imagine someone made an Oasis biopic, which will yeah. happen. That'll, that'll happen in, you know, probably the next 10 years. In about the next five to 10 years, we will get a narrative Oasis biopic. It's going to happen and it'll be the soundtrack of the year, naturally. But if somebody made an Oasis biopic, and it was, and then they went here and then they did this and then they went there... That wouldn't be very entertaining if you did that story through the prism of, but it's really about the relationship of these two brothers. Now that's a movie. You know what I mean? If you make a movie that's really about the relationship with, then yeah. you because then you have an emotional anchor. Simply telling someone events or just depicting events with without that is quite cold and distancing. And the thing is, it's Ridley Scott. Cold and distancing is something he knows how to do. I mean, 
Alien. I mean, look at Alien, for instance. A- Alien, you know, it has an emotional core in the form of Ripley and, and the relationship she has with her crew members, for instance. You look at Blade Runner, which is a movie about, you know, the, about humanity. It's about what makes a person a person. Where is that line? You know, look at The Martian, you know, which is really about the mental health benefits of methodical problem solving. Incidentally, Martian, low-key my favourite uh, Ridley Scott movie. I'm sorry, I know Blade Runner's a classic and everything, and everybody loves Alien, but no, 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 no. Martian, every time, low-key, absolutely, that's his banger. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's no connection with this. I simply couldn't connect with it. I was sat there marvelling at a very well-made film, but not a very well-written film. Or, maybe it is well-written, and it's just been cut down. So the problem is you have a film that you can't really judge because you know you're not watching the full version of it. You, know, you, see, you see the issue there. Yeah, yeah. And, and it mm. also looks like it may not have been a very well-researched movie as well from one of the comments that I've spotted. Because, of course, with movies like this, there are always people checking for historical accuracies. One of the comments that I read said, all of the British Union flags appear to be the wrong proportion. They should be three, five, but it looks much closer to a square. I'd like to, qu- <laughs> I'd like to quote Ridley Scott when I say... Get a life. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, my, fa- my absolute favourite one was when he turned around and said to... So, someone in an interview said, uh, what do you think of the uh, the historians who disagree with, you know, your historical accuracy? He went, well, were they there? Well, they can bleep off then. And <laughs> fair. Fair comment. Fair. Yeah, the, fair. The man is 84 years old. He ain't playing around. You know what I mean? He, he knows he's 84 years old. He is not messing around. Don't screw with Ridley Scott. That's the moral of the story. Um, But like I say, and there is a discussion to be had about that historical accuracy. I'm fine with it. I live through Bohemian Rhapsody. As long as it ultimately serves the story that you're telling. But conversely, I do agree that a lot of people do get their history from contemporary cinema. And people are now going to believe that Napoleon fired cannonballs at the pyramids. Which, to be fair, as at least 50% of an Egyptian... I can tell you that, historically, Egyptians are not wonderful about the events of their own history. They they do like to play fast and loose with the truth. My own father is quite notorious for it. Ask him about, you know, World War II and the Nazis and how much contact they had with Egypt. And, yeah, he just leaves the room. He just, he'll either lie or leave the room. It's fascinating. But, like I say, neither here nor there. Um, so... I'm going to give it a three to a three and a half star, but I really can't go much higher on Napoleon. But ask me again when I've seen that four hour version. Okay, well, you can go and see it yourself because Napoleon is out in cinemas from today. We have got one movie left to talk about, which is The Retirement Plan. We'll see what that's all about in just a second. We'll be back soon. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Let's crack straight on then with our final movie of the week. Uh, this is Retirement Plan. So this is an action comedy. Um, Tim Brown, I think, is the director of this one, isn't he? I believe so. I, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't. I was just going to check that actually out while you. I, I was. I was letting you do the preamble. I thought I can load it up in time. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for rumbling me, pal. Sorry. Oh. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, T- Tim Brown, you're absolutely right. Writer, director of this, um, which oh, no, I didn't realize this film was coming out this week. Obviously, uh, we needed a film to, to fill the hole at the last minute, and I realized I had this link in the inbox, and I just sat on it for ages. I was like, oh, the retirement plan is in. This stars Nicolas Cage. And just to, just to point this out, because like, we never know when these movies... I just didn't know what the movie was. Uh, I, uh, I looked at him like, you're kidding me, this film exists? Contacted my friend Chris Wilson, one of the two biggest Nicolas Cage experts I know. He and Case Allen. Case Allen used to present this show with me years ago. Um, he's a music teacher now. And uh, Chris Wilson, other one I know, really into Nicolas Cage. And his response was... I thought when he finished paying off all of his castles, he was going to stop doing this where he keeps chucking out random films every couple of weeks. What's happened? And yeah, I thought that too. No, he bloody isn't. So, Cage is back. In this movie, he's living away in the Cayman Islands, long hair, scraggly beard, likes a drink. All he wants to do is be left alone and drink. And then one day, a little girl shows up who turns out to be his granddaughter. And said granddaughter tells him, Mom's been kidnapped. (laughs) Mom's been kidnapped. You know, she sent me to you, kind of thing. And then the kidnappers, uh, who who are represented in the field by uh, Ron Perlman, of all people, Ron Perlman in a business suit, but are led behind the scenes by Jackie Earl Haley, follow in pursuit of a stolen hard drive that contains details of their vast criminal operation. An operation that also reveals that Nicolas Cage is, in fact, the world's greatest CIA agent, but he's retired. And when you kidnap his daughter, well, what do you think Nicolas Cage is going to do? Have a listen. I haven't seen my daughter, and now her daughter shows up at my front doorstep and not a word... I think my parents are in some kind of trouble. Oh, Ashley's in trouble. What is it this time? Get on that flight and do not come back without my hard drive. Purpose for your visit? Pleasure. Lay low for a few minutes. Welcome to the island. I'm losing my patience. Oh, no, no! Ah! Boom! Kills him. I just got out of here with my life. Did you shoot me? See, this kind of movie is um, right up my street. I must just point out, to me, Mm. after watching the trailer, I do think Nicolas Cage looks like an old Richard Gere in this. (laughs) You think? I mean... It's a, it's a really odd movie. Um, so, first of all, let's, let's talk about uh, Tim Brown's direction here, which is, I think, to call it lacklustre would be quite charitable. I mean, the vast, the bulk of this movie is really, like I say, very uh, nuts and bolts functional direction. It's just point a camera. Now, go do some acting. You know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, they, they're acting. I'll just I'll film it from here. I'm fine. Um, there is no swagger or style to this at all. Uh, this is incidentally this is like the times new roman font one it's not actually i think it's Arial. i think they use the Arial font for the title right and that, and that sets your tone when your movie immediately starts with that you're like oh this has been made on the cheap then you see the direct the way it's been shot and filmed you're like, oh god now bear in mind this is set in the caymans and, and various different tropical locales they uh, you know exotic locales um so it makes you think of burn notice Did you ever used to watch burn notice no no, absolutely brilliant series from the 2000s that had uh, Bruce Campbell as the MVP support. A great spy series. Um, I think it's might be on Disney Plus. No, I think it's on Disney Plus. Uh, really good, really worth checking out. Stars Jeffrey Donovan uh, from the Clint Eastwood movie Changeling. 
Now, I love that show, and that kind of does a similar thing, using the exotic locale, retired spy, etc. And this seems to want to go for the same vibe, but it ain't got it. It's got a really crap script. And even though Nicolas Cage is trying, really trying with some of that madcap Nicolas Cage, quite unbearable weight of massive talent energy, the problem is the script simply isn't there for him to dig anything out of. And when you've got when you've got Nicolas Cage you know, going full tilt boogie, he does need the material because there are a billion Nicolas Cage movies, and he goes nuts in quite a few of them. But the crappier ones, the director DVD ones that we've had to suffer and review all these years, the thing that sets them apart is usually the fact that they have garbage scripts. And this very much does join that pile. It's a film that where I think more effort has been put into designing the poster and DVD cover than the film itself. Having said that, Ron Perlman gets a couple of pretty neat moments. I like Ron Perlman. And to be fair, it is kind of fun actually getting to see Jackie Earl Haley, Ron Perlman, and Nicolas Cage in a scene together. Like, that's that's a trio of really interesting talent right there. And I know Jackie Earl Haley kind of isn't really that well regarded these days, but post Watchmen, he he did have his moment in the sub, a moment in the spotlight. And I, you know, I I think his Freddy Krueger got done dirty, but again, that was a writing thing. He was fine as Freddy Krueger. I really should watch that remake again at some point. It's possible it's worse than I remember it being. Um, but I say it's worth seeing those three actors. But the film itself just is nothing to shout home back. It's also bizarrely long. Like, this is a two-hour movie that doesn't have the material for 90 minutes. So a yeah. lot of it is just spent kind of bickering. And it just doesn't work. But, and then you get an ending that just... Stop. It's one of those endings. Just stop. You know, we've, we've got 90 seconds. Do, do the ending. So you've got a two-hour movie that then rushes the ending. Half an hour of filler, but then a rushed ending. What what's going on with this absolute mess of a film? It doesn't work at all, like I say. But it is enjoyable to see those three actors together. I'm not going to lie. I, individually, I love them all. And, you know, Ron Perlman is kind of a, a hero at the moment because of the things that he posted and said during the strike. So, you know, let's, let's do it. If you, if you must see a movie, just if you must see this movie, do it for Ron. I think he's earned it. Do it for, do it for Hellboy. Give him a couple of bucks. You know, let, let, let's, let's make a couple of bucks. But don't expect too much at all. Well, it's listed as an action comedy. I mean, are there many funny moments in it, or does it lack on that side a lot? I mean, I didn't laugh once, but it does have action scenes. So... <laughs> well, that says it all. Although, I noticed a really weird thing in this. Right, so, in this day and age, when, uh, especially when you're making a movie on the cheap, it's a lot easier to simply uh, get a battery-operated uh, toy gun that effectively has the ricochet effect, has the rattle and vibration in it. So, what you would do when you're filming a movie with, like, henchmen and things, you'd buy loads of these battery-operated sort of replica guns kind of thing, you'd, you'd have them film with the shaker. And then you would, in post, you would add visual effects that basically add the muzzle flare and the bullets. Now, they've done that here. They do that in loads of films, so it's not really a remarkable thing. But the reason it's remarkable is because there is a scene in this in which a henchman fires his automatic rifle, I think, at Nicolas Cage's daughter. Oh, no, it's at Nicolas Cage on a boat, tell a lie. And I think someone flicked the wrong switch when they were putting the effect in. Because the muzzle flare is tinted red, 
like magenta red. And it really <laughs> sticks out. But and they just left what, it in. And they left it in. Now, I know this happens because very famously, if you watch uh, the end of the first Jurassic Park, there is uh, there are two frames in Jurassic Park where a velociraptor literally vanishes from the T-Rex's mouth. If you pay close attention in the first Jurassic Park. Um, you know, oh. even at the end where the T-Rex comes down and, and nabs the raptor and, yeah, and saves yeah. them. When he's doing the thing and flicking the raptor around, there, there are two frames where that raptor vanishes. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. But oh, I, I love yeah, stuff so like that. I, I watch too much Corridor Crew, I, I know. But, you know, that's what you choose for. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's just, it's not a very good movie. And to be, frank, to be frank, I'm with Chris Wilson on this one. After he'd paid off his castles and he'd made the unbearable weight of massive talent, come on, Nick. I expect it's better than... Yeah, we got Renfield this year, and he was kind of a dud in that. It's nice to see him giving the energy again, but... Nicky, come on, man. More effort. Pick better projects. Come on. This is... This is not burn notice. What are you going for, then? 2.5? 3? It is a two-star film. It very much is a two-star film, which means annoyingly that we've had two two-star films this week. Yeah. <laughs> two of them are two stars. Yeah. Well, you know, oh. you can't control the quality of the industry, Van. You really can't. Do you remember, do you remember last <laughs> week when we, were, when we were getting horny movies? That was fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, that leads me to my next question. Of course, the retirement plan in cinemas from today. You need to pick a movie of the week, Van, which is going to be quite difficult. <laughs> well, it's going to be Napoleon. It ha- by default, Napoleon well, I suppose, is the yeah. week. Yeah, by yeah, default. Yeah. I mean, even though it's not the version that most people are going to wind up seeing. But... Because I'm reasonably sure they're not going to put the two-and-a-half-hour version onto Apple TV+. Plus. I think they'll just put the four-hour version. But, so, we'll see. Time, time will tell on that one. But, yeah. No yeah, problem. you may well may well change your opinion on that once you've seen the four-hour version, if you can stay awake that long. Um, it, it, but... I mean, I can, I can do a four-hour <laughs> movie. I've, I've, seen, I've seen some Scorsese movies. I, I can do that. <laughs> well, the retirement plan in cinemas from today. If you want to check out the latest one from Nicolas Cage, uh, let's just briefly talk about next week then. And I, I absolutely know nothing about any of these coming up next week. Queendom is something we're going to be talking about. Yeah, Queendom next week, which is about a, a, a self-described otherworldly performance artist in Russia, uh, which I'm, I'm intrigued by. That sounds. I mean, that sounds like it could be the greatest thriller ever made. I'm sure it's probably a documentary. Um, We've also got Femme next week, which is um, about... uh, It's it's George McKay. uh, George McKay? George McKay from Pride and 1917. Have you remember remember that guy? Um, The one one who I famously met in the BFI forgot his name and just, whilst very drunk, just shouted, Bromley! And then got a hug. (laughs) It was a very nice man, because he plays Bromley in Pride. And I absolutely love Pride. Um, but in Femme, I think he plays a young gay man who survives a, a homophobic attack, like a hate crime attack, and then has to sort of rebuild uh, his life afterwards. Which, I mean, if it's that actor doing that, I'm in. I'm in. Just say, say no more. You, you've got my ticket money. I mean, proverbially speaking. Um, we have next week also got the 20th anniversary, and we are going to review it. We are going to review it because I'm sorry, I've never gotten to review this movie, and I've always wanted to. It My is favorite 20- Christmas movie. It is a lot of people's favorite Christmas movie. It is the 20th anniversary re-release next week of Elf. It has been 20 what more do we get? Years. 
I mean, I hope they've added it. They won't. They'll just remastered it in 4K now. Uh, but we have also got a Christmas horror movie next week that I've been really looking forward to. Friends of mine have seen it and say good things. Uh, being released by Vertigo, we've got There's Something in the Barn to look forward to next week. Well, there we go. Loads to talk about. Um, Van's going to see all of those, if not most of them, this week. And we'll see what he thinks on off screen next week. That is, of course, all we have time this week. I've been Adam Ball. I'll see you next week. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.